All right, I'm going to ask God's grace and favor. Lord, I love you and I thank you. Uh, I want to say thank you again for Dakota and that beautiful heart of faith that she has. And, and God bless her as she walks out the Great Commission, lives the love that you gave her and how she's going to care for other people. Thank you for her mom and dad and for Colton and Savannah. Lord, this is the day we celebrate your, your resurrection and it changes everything. And so um, here I am, Lord, here we are to seek you and, and ask for grace and favor. And Lord, if anybody's here that, that you know, there's so many wounds, it's kind of hard, to, hard to, to believe like they used to. Would you renew their faith, please? And, and give that grace that only you give, please. Lord, I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Also, those online on Facebook, thank you so much for being a part of this. It means a lot. Uh, on Facebook or on our website, you can text Stephen from our website. Um, but also uh, for Facebook, please get prepared to comment, ask questions. I want to hear from you guys. So I want to talk about Job, teach from Job. And I realized like, wow, that's the most depressing way to introduce the, the, the resurrection. But buckle up. You're going to see some things that I think maybe you've never seen before. So here's some, this is a quick flyover of, of Job. If you're into Hebrew, his name is Eov. V is in victory, Eov. That's how you actually say the name Job. And it means to be hated. How's that for a name? The hated one. It also means in its root form, the enemy. Eov, Job, means the enemy, treated as an enemy. And yet he was the most respected and honored man in the ancient Near East. And that's Job 1.3 without a say. And yet it's as though he's hated and it's as though he's being treated as an enemy, Eov in Hebrew. Um, God described Job to Satan as there's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man. Fearing God and turning away from evil. The second time God says that in chapter 2 verse 3. God adds he's holding to his integrity even though you've abused him. He still holds to an integrity even though he's lost his, his wealth. He lost his family with the exception of his wife. He still holds fast. He's not quitting. Job was tested by God's authorization. And Satan's cruel program. Wow. Job lost everything but his physical life and his broken wife. Very little is said about Job's wife. Just a quick comment. I think if I lost my kids, if I lost everything, especially my kids, I'd be broken. I'd have a hard time. Yeah. Sometimes we come down hard on, on his wife like, well, she doesn't have much faith. She sounds like she's a bitter nag. No, 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 no. God does a big thing in her heart too, just later on in the book. But he lost everything but his physical life, covered with sores, and he has a broken wife. Job has three friends, and Lee, I know you read the Old Testament critically, and one critic, silent critic is in the background watching what's going on. We'll get to that. Look at this first guy, El Ifaz, told Job, the innocent do not suffer. Now, what do you think that means? By implication, what? He is guilty. He's guilty. Um, how about this one? Bildad. Uh, by the way, Bildad was known as the Shuhite. And Ed, I guess, 
He was just a wee little man. Shoe height. That did not work well. That did not work well. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Bill Dad, and that's actually pronounced the name here, by the way, told him that God rewards those who are good, essentially saying the identical thing that Eliphaz is saying. The innocent do not suffer. God rewards the good. So what is he saying by implication? Guilty. You're still guilty. So two of the three friends have demonstrated clearly that he is a guilty man. Otherwise, he wouldn't suffer and good would come. And then Zotfar told him flat out he deserves to be punished. He deserves it. Things are getting more intense. The innocent do not suffer. God rewards those who do good. And he deserves to be punished. And then there's a young, young man in the background. And his name is Elihu. And this guy isn't saying a word because he's so young. And by the way, Job is probably the earliest recorded event in the scriptures outside of the creation. Yeah. There's no mention of Moses. There's no mention of the law. And historians argue it predates Moses in the timeline. This is old, really old. And because of that, the young always honored the old. And so the gray hairs would speak first. And then if it could be tolerated, a young man might be allowed to speak. And so this guy, El-Ihu, is silent. He doesn't say anything. And finally... In a rage, and the Hebrew says that he is raging against Job. And Elihu shames Job for justifying himself before God. The people that are pouring counsel into Job's life are making it more intense, more intense, more intense. Until finally this kid in the shadows speaks up and says, I can't hold in my anger anymore. You have sinned. Because you are justifying yourself in the sight of God. And you have no right to do that. And Job, the hated one, treated as an enemy. Job, in the middle of all of that, says this. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were recorded in a book. That with an iron stylus and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. Yet as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I will see God, whom whom I on my part shall behold for myself and whom my eyes will see and not another. Eov, the hated one, is the first person in recorded history to speak of resurrection. He's the first one. And he says it in the middle of the most horrific context of his life. This guy gets resurrection. In Hebrew, ani yadeh. I know, I have settled this. I know it with all my heart that my redeemer, Gaal, my redeemer lives. Anybody here know what a kinsman redeemer is? You know that? You know that, right? Kinsman redeemer. If 
if a woman loses her husband, the closest of kin in Hebrew culture have a right to marry her in order to preserve the bloodline. Please get that. If the Hebrew woman loses her husband, the husband's living brother has the right to marry her to preserve the bloodline. That is the word in Hebrew, ga'al, kinsman redeemer. Not just a redeemer, not somebody that just rescues or saves or something, but someone who is a kinsman redeemer. Do you know what that means? That means God gave his son that if we would believe in him, we would not perish. And a bloodline would be established through Jesus. The one who resurrects is my kinsman redeemer, your kinsman redeemer. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Job was covered, it says, with sores from head to toe. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh, I will see God. Resurrection. Whom I, on my part, shall behold for myself, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. In the middle of all that mess, Job realizes that his Redeemer lives. There is resurrection, and God will redeem his life. Now, now check this out. This is what resurrection means. Number one, resurrection means little to those who have God figured out. Doesn't mean much. You know, add a, add a check to your little theological journey that you're on. Check. Got it. God's figured out. Next. You know, how about this? It means little to those who seek God for material prosperity. Anybody heard the, of the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel? Name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, all that stuff. It is, listen, that is, that is satanic. That is evil. The prosperity gospel is evil. It has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus. Yet those who are into that kind of thing, the resurrection doesn't mean much. Not at all. How about this one? It really means little to those who weaponize God in anger. It means really little to those who weaponize God in anger. Because some people are so bitter and they're so angry, they think they can control other people. And they use God as the big weapon. God's the big hammer. God's the weapon. And that's what this kid, Elihu, was doing to Job. He was weaponizing God and coming down hard, hard on Job. But resurrection means everything to those who battle secret fears. In a crowd of this size, I'm sure there's somebody that battles secret. You know, I'm not going to bring up COVID, you know. And how there, there are some of us, we are scared to death of a germ. We are scared to death of what China's doing. Scared to death what, what Iran's doing. Scared to death about what's going on at the border. All kinds of stuff. Now, there's something really interesting about, about Job. In chapter 1, verse 5, it says that Job had a secret fear. What was the secret fear? Anybody? What was the secret fear of Job? Now remember, God says he's a blameless man. And there's a secret fear 
He's afraid that his children are going to secretly curse God. Remember that? And so how many sacrifices does he make? He doubles it up. How's that for fear? You are blameless before God, but you're so afraid your kids are going to mess up that you do a double sacrifice. And you do it, it says, every day. He lives in fear. That's chapter 1. And verse 3, verse 25, you know what Job says? He says, the very thing I fear has come upon me. The thing I fear has come upon me. I've lost all my kids. When we battle secret fears, resurrection can mean everything. Because it's the answer. It gives us hope. How about this? Resurrection means everything when suffering brings unanswerable questions. <laughs> Anybody here struggle with why God allows good things to happen to bad people? And why bad things happen to good people? Anybody battle with that one? That's the C.S. Lewis question of the ages. Why would God let good things happen to bad people? And why would God let bad things happen to good people? Resurrection means everything. When we as those who follow Jesus encounter unanswerable questions. Resurrection means everything to those broken by sin. Absolutely broken by sin. Our sin separates us. Sin destroys. Sin kills. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Resurrection means everything to those who love his appearing. Second Timothy 4, 8, Paul said that. We believe in the resurrection and we know that our Redeemer lives. Okay, I want to turn this over to you guys because it's going to be beautiful. Luke 24 uh, records the story and, and the, the angel says, Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in, the, in Galilee? saying that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise from the dead. Paul writes in Romans 6, 5, that if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Romans 8, for in hope you have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what, is already, what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, through perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Peter, the guy that finally figured it out, he says, you know what? Though you don't see him, you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. All right, Christ Church, you ready to do what you do so well? You are the gifted body of Christ. We have prophetic gifting here. We have merciful gifting, encouragement, teaching, discernment, all the gifts. What difference should resurrection make in the life of a follower of Jesus? What would you say? And those online, please comment. If you had a question, speak. Speak as though the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking through you. Holy Spirit. Resurrection changes everything.
Why does this matter? Hope. Hope. Yeah. Give me more. For me, it's all about redemption. Uh, the suffering, you know, it's like, <clears throat> yeah, Judas did hard things, so I can do hard things. Like, yeah, for sure. But when you think about the resurrection, it's the redemption, the glory after the hard suffering. So that's what really the, you know, because he lives like in face tomorrow is because, like, the heart, the glory. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Tori. You know unanswerable questions. You know what they feel like, don't you? <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. And boy, there's a story of grace with Job's wife. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Did you know that it doesn't say Job got a new wife? The woman with the broken heart. Doris, she was healed. She was healed. Someone else, why does this matter? Resurrection. If there was no resurrection, Jesus would be dropped into a category much like Socrates, a brilliant philosopher, a Jewish philosopher, a sage, a wise man that wouldn't shut up and got in trouble with Rome. And if he just kept it quiet, stayed in Galilee, everything would be fine. But because of resurrection, it all changes. Yes. He proves that he is God and he is God's answer to the problem of sin and a broken human heart. Anybody else? Why does this matter for us? Resurrection anchors every Christian into the same thing. Yeah. And in a time when we could be divided on any number of topics, specifically with the last year, resurrection is the thing, the one thing that every person who claims to be a follower of Christ can agree on. Yeah. And at the very least, we have to hold on to that. Because yes. that's the one thing that hasn't changed in 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years. Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection is the one thing that every person who claims to follow Christ can say, yes, I yes. agree with that. Yes, yes. You nailed it. And that is the core of the gospel. The very core. Someone else? Why does this matter? Fearlessness. Every Christian, knowing that you cannot die, you will be resurrected. Your time on this earth may be over, but you will continue to live forever. Fearlessness should be, you know, you cannot die. Yes, yes. That's so good, Todd. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, knowing what God has accomplished in us, we've set our life on a course to persuade people yeah, of the gospel. Absolutely. We don't have to live uh, in, in fear. 
we can live in faith, which is beautiful. So, Stephen? Yeah, Sabrina uh, Coleman online says, Redemption means I am made right with God. I now can live in freedom from guilt and shame my sin brings. Living in freedom, experiencing peace and joy is all because of my redemption. The resurrection proves God has power over death and Jesus is truly the Son of God. Yes. Sabrina, thank you so much. I appreciate you and Rusty. Um, Sabrina, you say something that is critical. Um, let's, let's kind of pull back the veil just a little bit. Okay. When Satan led the temptation effort against Eve and, of course, Adam, he made promises. Satan made false promises. If you eat this, you're going to be like God. It's going to be wonderful. You get all you want. And, and all these things, and it was really twisted. It's as though if you eat this, if you eat this apple, whatever it was, you're going to get close to God and you're going to be like God. Okay? You're going to know everything. Can you imagine knowing everything? And yet Satan literally is lying and you flip it in reverse and you end up eating this thing and the opposite happens. It causes separation and it causes shame. There's a shame reflex inside of us. Just like you have a pain reflex, you touch something that burns you, you pull your hand away, just like that. When we experience shame, what's our reflex? Isolate, hide, run, find fig leaves, do something, get in the shadows, get away. And isn't it interesting? They thought they would get close to him, but it's the very opposite that happened. So Paul writes in Ephesians, the, the wall, the veil, the thing that separates us from God is removed in Jesus Christ so that we literally now become one with Jesus Christ. It is everything. This is so good. Someone else, why does this matter? Why does this matter? It's the promise that we will see the face of God. Yes. <clears throat> Without shame. Without shame. Without shame, yeah. Yeah. By the way, does anybody have any Eliaphaz, Bildad, Zophar belief in your heart? Uh, I'm having a really bad day. I must have done something wrong. George Costanza, he's an atheist. Unless something bad happens. <laughs> Got a little Eliaphaz in us. The innocent don't suffer and the good are not punished. Therefore, for having a bad day, Johnny Cash, God's going to cut us down. You got a little bit of life as thinking inside of us. So, Jay? Yes. Yes. Yeah, in fact, Jay. That is so profound. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. This is of first importance. This is, prime, this is primary. This is core. That Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins. And, those, and if there's no resurrection, Paul says we are what? To be most pitied. What fools that we would set ourselves on a course to follow Jesus if there was no resurrection. We're to be most pitied. It changes everything. Someone else, why does this matter? Anybody? Someone online, Stephen? Anybody? Okay. Okay. I couldn't hear half the comments. 
the entire thing that I was thinking of, uh, the fact that the resurrection happened means that this is just temporary. It means whatever we're going through at this moment, my back pain, financial situation, depression, it's all temporary and it can only get better from here. Yes, yes. We have hope. Absolutely, we have hope. Yes. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. All right, uh, uh, let's, let's have a little counseling session here, okay? We have someone here this morning who is paralyzed by shame. That their little sin habits, their sin struggles, they just can't, they just can't conquer it. And they've got this sense of core shame that is so profound that they have no power, no life inside of them. What difference would Jesus Christ and his resurrection make for a Christian that's in bondage to shame? What are you going to say to this person? Yes. He removes the shame. Thank you, Madison. Someone else. What are you going to say to this person in bondage to shame? What's that? Story of Saul. Story of Saul. Man, that's good, Matt. That is good. Yeah, just a few. Just, just a yeah. hunting, hunting down Christians. Yes, Jen. Uh, Say that again. That's really important. Develop that. What, what are you saying? Yes. Yes. 
Yes, Jan, you nailed it. You know, with that reflex of shame and that thing that hits us, the thing that comes right behind it, and boy, this is where Satan really gets us. It's a savior complex. (laughs) We're going to do our best to be our own saviors and fix our own selves. And that's the whole point. We can't. We can't fix ourselves. That's why we have Jesus. This is why we have the gospel. And, And so, Matt, the writer of Hebrews, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. So therefore, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. The throne of grace is for people full of shame. The throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the gospel. What's that? Jesus turned his back weakness, that shame, that is directly connected to a person who could be very compassionate. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, that spiritual gift can be transformed yes. from that weakness. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, you, this is so good, Justin. Uh, I was just going to say, my, my counsel to them would be that just as much as we as Christians have this desire to have peace and have hope and have a, a new life, you know, Jesus' parables were constantly talking about how desperate God was to get us back. Yes. Yes. In knowing everything that we have in our life. All that is wrong and shameful. Yeah. And, and so I think Resurrection Sunday is just as much about our Father got his children. Oh, kinsman redeemer, huh? So the bloodline is preserved. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. It's not going to be your righteousness on display at the day of judgment. It's no. Christ. Yeah. Every one of us that walks up there needs to claim his righteousness as our own. Yeah. 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 That's so good, Joe. Second uh, Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 12. Let's, let's get inside Paul's head. God's strength is perfected in what? Our weakness. Not our strengths. Isaiah 59. Yes, Sloan. Thank you so much. Yeah, Edie, that is so good. Um, I can teach you the truth, but I can't believe it for you. <laughs> I can teach you the gospel, but I can't believe it for you. I know. I've settled this. My Redeemer lives. And I know that I will stand with Him. It's beautiful. Beautiful. This is what Jesus this is what Jesus teaches us in John's gospel. Hi. Uh, listen, if you're bothered by the children, uh, shame on you. But don't be ashamed. It's a great. 
I love the kids. I love the noise. I love it. Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, Phoebe has been really quiet. Is Phoebe upstairs? Okay, that's why we're still doing the service right now. It's amazing. So, the Phoebes. <laughs> oh, this is this is this is everything to me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Justin, God is the missionary. God's the guy in pursuit. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other option at all. And he lives, and I want you to know that authority. And by the way, when, as he has said, well, when we believe this and we really appropriate what God has accomplished for us, we have new life. We've got power. We've got authority. We've got confidence. We can be bold in our faith because we're living out resurrection authority. Yeah. This is beautiful. All right, those of you gifted as prophets, you know the word of God. Has anything been said here this morning that you believe is outside of God's word and against scripture? Did the prophets, let's weigh this out. Anybody? All right. I'm grateful for you all. We are going to sing love songs. We're going to sing worship songs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Redeemer, I want to pray and I want to bless the Lord in in you. Abba, Father, we love you. Thank you for what you've accomplished through your son, Jesus Christ. You live. You have been raised from the dead. And because we are in you, we will live. And this this is everything. Lord, I love you and I thank you. And thank you for my family. In Jesus' name, amen.